This week, we're joined by a player whose primary character embodies the spirit of the lyrics. Under the sea, we off the hook. We got no troubles. Life is the bubbles under the sea. We also creature feature the Manicora slash Blood Came and Encounter, then bring back our segment, Keeping a PC. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a wheel save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. And we're back. What's Episode up, bud? Seven. Episode 7, man. Yeah, man. What's going on? I mean, it's been quite the weekend. Mini painting, drinking in the morning, then for the rest of the day, recording Zone of Truth. It's been wild, man. It's been a great weekend. I love the the details you guys put into some of the stuff you painted this weekend. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm sure by now the, the folks at home have seen the Instagram posts, the Twitter posts, up in the Discord of all of the different crazy things we've painted. But that was a lot of fun Friday night. Pretty alcohol-fueled. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking about fueling yourself with the alcohol, Griffin, what you got for me? I'm drinking a Henry's Hard Sparkling Water Lemon Lime Flavor. Hmm. It's pretty tasty. I've never seen you drinking the Henry's before uh before our last recording session. They were on sale. Yeah. They're treating you well? Yeah, they're not bad. I mean Smirnoff is still the uh the apple of my eye. Mm, I understand. But as for me, I am drinking a new release from Brewdog. I believe it is a limited release because it's got some Sonic Temple branding on it. It's the Sonic Temple Guava IPA. We've got that music festival coming up in Columbus in a couple weekends. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and crack this thing open. Nice crack, bud. Thank you, sir. It is very tasty. And also, they're doing right by me. Six tall boys, a craft beer for 10 bucks. I can't argue with that. That's actually pretty fucking good. Yeah. That's not a bad deal. I was surprised. The Tall Boys. Speaking of being surprised by Tall Boys, I think we have a guest. We do. Everybody, if you could not guess from the intro, you know her. You love her. She's been on the show from day one. Emily Campbell's in the studio. Hey, Emily. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Good. Not too much. I'm excited for this episode of Zone of Truth. You're going to be talking a lot, as was evidenced by Haley's episode last two weeks ago. So, you ready? I sure hope so. Mm-hmm. I already made her roll the will save, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll reveal at the end if she succeeded. <laughs> you fail. You failed it. But how's your weekend been going, Emily? It's good. I absolutely loved painting minis. I am not super artistic, but I like to try. And what did you paint for us on on Friday night? So I was helping Brooks finish up Ikmer, and then I painted a character from our Return of the Rune Lords, Belle. Oh, okay. You'll be hearing about her later, I think. Yeah, Yeah, that's exciting. That's good stuff. Got a lot done. I did my my Vesk soldier from our Starfinder off-air campaign, Bask. He's looking really fresh. I didn't paint because I was too drunk when they started painting to feel like it was worthwhile. 
pale as old as time. <laughs> pale as old as time. Too, dr- too drunk to paint. So, there's something you always forget to do in the episode, Steve. What's that, Griffin? I fucking turn on Sirenscape, you jabroni. Um, I, I can't argue with that. The precedent has been set that I am a jabroni on this show. Um, not off, not off air. I'm a, not a jabroni in real life, but, um, this jabroni right now is going to be playing a siren set soundscape. This is coming off the high seas pack. It's called gathering storm. I think it's apropos with yeah. Lyra yeah. It's a player in the studio, but now that we've got our, uh, our bow cresting through the waves into the surf. Let's talk a little bit about your characters you're bringing to the show, Emily. So the, obviously the first one that I'm sure the folks want at home want to hear all about is Lyra. She is a day one character. She's got, I, I mean, we had a very brutal for Lyra encounter um, that we're just coming off of. So before getting into like maybe where Lyra's head's at right now, I want to take a moment to talk about you know, Lyra at her core. So when you were creating this character almost a year ago now, what, what came to you first? What was your inspiration? I want to know, did you start with a race, then class, then maybe some sort of thematic work or inverse or whatever? I just want to hear it. Yeah, I started looking for classes. I wasn't sure what I wanted to play, but I knew it needed to be something a little bit more unique. So I actually just started reading online. I would look up different forums and see what other people were talking about for like kind of weird horror builds for Mm -hmm. characters until I found a archetype that I thought sounded interesting. And the first one I actually landed on was the dark tapestry Oracle, which is an Oracle or a character that has been, affected by some something beyond the dark tapestry some great like an Ethelgu maybe <laughs> exactly uh, and then from there I worked quite a bit with Griffin to build my character and her backstory and he recommended reading the story Shadow over Innsmouth yep. and so I read that and uh, that was quite a bit of inspiration could for you, Lyra. Could you give me like a quick thirty-second overview of what that like who, who who that might be by and what's the what the deal is? Because I'm sure our listeners at home are going to want to check it out. Yeah, it's a story by H.P. Lovecraft. Of course. Yep, and uh, so it kind of takes place. The main character is this. Is like a visitor to the town. Yeah, yeah. He's visiting the town. He's trying to... Or get- no, he's visiting his family, I think, in the town. Something like that. Yeah. He's like attached to the town in some way, but he doesn't live there. Oh, I think I know what this one is, and it's really good. I, I read a whole bunch of H.P. Lovecraft stories a long time ago. I think this is a really good one. Yeah, so he's visiting this town, and he they're not welcoming at all to him and they're all very strange and they look weird they have really wide set eyes and really big kind of fleshy mouths and as he is there longer he starts to gain more dark information and just kind of goes downhill from there and I don't want to spoil too much but it is a coastal 
region that they're in, very tied to the ocean. And uh, there might be a few dark, creepy things being called. Yeah, and I think when Emily and I had discussed her character and she kind of took it in a direction that was somewhat Lovecrafty, and I recommended this because this is actually where Paizo got inspiration for um, the town of Vilmarsh. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah, so um, I really wanted you to read that because you said you were going to be from there, and bada-bing, bada-boom, I think it's worked out really well for Lyra. I think we're going to see some of those same themes as we progress. Yeah, definitely. And kind of from there, knowing that it was a coastal town, very ocean-based, and that uh, her Lyra's curse is um, that she's called to the deep. She's called to the ocean. So, of course, I love Disney movies. My next thought was, well, there's The Little Mermaid. Ariel is called to the land. My character is called to the sea. So why not just uh, flip the name Ariel backwards and get Lyra, and there's my character motivation. There it is, folks, if you hadn't figured that beforehand. (laughs) I I think we had recorded the show for maybe, I don't know, three or four months, uh, and and, and I I never had, had even thought to ask where people's names had come from. Um, and we were talking, and you mentioned that, and I just—it was the—it was a big mind blow for me. I was like, "Whoa!" And then I like ran to my phone and like typed in Lyra, and then typed in Ariana. I was like, "Oh my God, she's right! It is backwards." That's correct. <laughs> All right, so tell me a little bit more about this archetype. So, have you ever played an oracle before? And I know for a fact this is certainly not a traditional oracle. Yes. So I have never played an oracle before. So there was a lot of reading for me to Mm. understand the waves oracle archetype. And then oracles have a curse on top of that. So there's a lot of different interactions and there's a lot of different substitutions for her class. And because Griffin was very nice and uh, let me take the... Ocean's Echo, right? Yeah, Ocean's Echo, which is typically only available to merfolk, that replaced even more of her spells. So she's kind of a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, So that... Very bardic. Very bardic with all the perform. Yes, yeah. So that the Ocean's Echo gives her all of the uh, performances. The Waves Oracle gives her a lot of the like water spells mm-hmm. um, and then her curse is what gives her her swim speed huh. speaking of waves oracle I know you had mentioned dark tapestry beforehand what made you choose waves over dark tap- tapestry I actually was leaning more towards dark tapestry at first because uh, that's what I read about and I thought it sounded pretty cool, but after reading the um, Shadow Over In's Mouth, I felt more connected to the character and like got the whole uh, Little Mermaid vibe, and that just felt like it fit better to me. Like I would be able to play her more cohesively that way. I absolutely love that we're taking a moment to, to appreciate the fact that, you know, just like you've got your 
paladin and your anti-paladin, we have the Little Mermaid and the anti-Little Mermaid. Well, I don't know that she's quite... I don't know that they're antithesis of each other. Oh, it's, it's going like, from land to sea, sea to land. Yeah, but they both have strong ties to... Yeah, I, I don't think the, the Little Mermaid is cursed. She'd so be cursed. I she doesn't could, have a voice. I could, Lyra's got a voice. See, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Damn it, the, damn yeah, it. gotcha. I kind of see Lyra as the original story behind the Disney movie that's like dark and creepy and like she goes downhill and then Disney will turn it into like a nice happy story where everything's okay. So you're like that Brothers Grimm story that gets twisted into um, into Snow White or or Beauty and the Beast or whatever. Exactly. That's cool as hell. I want to know what creepy song you sing that they twist into Let It Go. Ha! I'll make sure that comes up in the next couple episodes. That's amazing. All right, well, we got to keep things moving. We have so much I want to cover today, guys. So everybody loves Lyra. But again, we've got a much creepier character to discuss. And it's no stretch to say that this is one of the standout characters from the evil interludes. One of my personal favorites, the, the craziest character I've ever seen brought to a table with the creepiest mannerisms. Emily, tell me about Dr. Vivian Malis. She was a lot of fun to create. And actually it was a very different process from what I normally go through. I think that was because we were creating evil characters. Sure. I had never done that. Oh, you're before. not an evil person. No, you can't really find yourself in the, can't slip into the evil shoes. Yeah, and I was also struggling with the fact that I knew we needed to work as a team, and so I needed to create an evil character that would be okay with, Play like... nice. Yeah, would work with other people and wouldn't be just, like, crazy, self-serving, only doing whatever she wanted to do because that wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. When I was starting to think about the evil character, I wanted to make a character I could connect with. I really like villains that have some sort of driving force that I can relate relate with. So I can understand their end goal, definitely don't support their actions to get there, but I can at least understand why they're doing what they're doing. Sure. And I am also a graduate student. So I know the kind of drive and dedication and sacrifice it takes to actually get like good results from experiments and the long, long hours in the lab. So when I was looking up different uh, classes, different archetypes, I came across the vivisectionist. Here we go. Now, did that influence the name Viv? Of course it did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I like reading through it, I thought it sounded so cool and something that I couldn't really play in a normal campaign. It's like you're dissecting living creatures, you're torturing them. I didn't think I could fit that in very well with any other campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I knew that's what I wanted to go with. And then I knew I could kind of take some of my own personal experience of being a graduate student and put kind of that dedication and that drive into Vivian. word of caution to the people you work with. Yeah, Jesus. I will say this, and it's it's a great credit to your character work with Viv. When Emily plays Vivian Malice, it is the only time at a Pathfinder table I have been like 
actually creeped out by a person at the table and it made my skin crawl. It makes my skin crawl when you talk as Viv and you do like the weird shit you do. Like at the, I think, I think most notable example for me was at the, um, at the dinner with Aaron Vrood. Like I was definitely playing into that and, and being creepy, but I could only go to that level because you took it there. I sit across from you, Emily, and when you do the mannerisms and the voice and stare directly at me, I feel like you want to peel my skin off with like a cheese grater or something. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, to get into character, I have to act it out because I'm not good enough to like manipulate my voice without also like physically shaking and be kind Which of like is the scariest part it's of terrifying. it. Terrifying. That's the scariest part of it is that you're literally shuddering and like staring at somebody at the table and it's just like oh god she looking at me <laughs> fuck I, I get where you guys are coming from though I, I tried listening to some of the evil interludes at work and I had to stop when we got to that dinner scene because I couldn't listen to even though I was the one doing it I, I couldn't listen to it again we've had a couple people say that just that dinner scene in general was like they they had to like either stop or like take a moment or take a deep breath because it was it got pretty rough yeah i'm I'm glad we had a couple drinks in us when we role played that because i was just running with it you were just running with it Mm -hmm. it was like i mean it's a scene that that feels to me like it would be difficult to recreate it's one of those things where it's like Wow, I can't believe we did that. <laughs> it was it, it was very much one of those like games of chicken where everyone's sitting around the table like I'm going to see how far I can push it and then the next person says something absolutely wild and it's like okay, that's where the bar is. I'm going to go like just a hair past it. And it's like someone's going to go just past that. It was a lot of fun. So do you have any I mean besides your your graduate school life like any direct inspirations from like media or anything for Viv or is she just kind of like, cause Ariel is very much, you know, tangentially a inspiration for Lyra as well as the HP Lovecraft type story. Is there anything there for Viv or was Viv just, Hey, this is what I would do if I uh, went fucking berserk as a grad <laughs> student. There's a little bit more inspiration, but no one specific story. I knew because she was going to be Dr. Vivian Malice that she was going to be kind of that mad scientist type feel. So to me, just thinking of mad scientist in general, that's someone who is a little bit crazy looking, like has the rambunctious hair, Mm -hmm. maybe isn't very good at like controlling themselves physically like she shakes and she has trouble kind of keeping everything in when she's not constantly solving a problem like she has to be going all the time because her mind doesn't shut off you know i'm I'm getting like um that that the one really terrible batman movie uh with with arnold schwarzenegger in there like to meet you exactly what what killed the dinosaurs the ice age but I'm kind of getting like Uma Thurman poison Ivy vibes for like before she ch- like changed. I'm curious. Like, yeah. did you ever cast Viv? Cause 
you get that vibe. I always yep. get like a Bellatrix Lestrange vibe from. Yeah. I, I especially with like like imagine her, but with like half of her face like kind of acid burned or whatever, and I almost. I know you never described it this way, but I always imagine Viv with like the Cruella Deville hair, where like the acid like bleached half of her hair, and like she has like black hair on one side and like white hair on the other, kind of like a Two Face ish character. Sure. Yeah, I definitely saw her more as a like Bellatrix Lestrange type character, just insane, but a little bit more focused. Yeah. Than her, but like the focus driven version of her that's just kind of chaotic and like you're not exactly sure what's going to go on. Well, I cannot wait to see where this character goes when we record a couple more evil interludes. I cannot wait to see if her and Lyra bump up against each other, what that might look like. Um, Give me your character sheet. It's going <laughs> it, to be a freak. It's going to make you voice him, though. Yeah. But. We got to keep it PC here on the Hideous Laughter Podcast because that's what we do. Um, So our next segment is keeping it PC. Emily, I want to talk to you a little bit more about a different character. One, just like Haley's Yaku's that we're not going to talk about this episode. Thank fuck. (laughs) Jesus. That Uh, character. I want to talk about a character who has never appeared on this podcast but has a really cool story and just like Dr. Viv and just like Lyra has like a, a really cool fleshed out personality. I want to talk about your current character that you are playing in our off pod um, rendition of the return of the rune Lords AP that's getting GM'd by our good buddy, Timmy, um, Timmy, Tim, Tim, Emily, who is this character? Her name is Belle Labette. Amazing. And who is Bella Is she also inspired by another Disney princess? Maybe. <laughs> if, you, if you translate her name into French and you add a space in her last name, it is literally, sorry if this is not quite exact, but Google Translate says it is literally Beauty the Beast. Oh, again, I did not know this. That's awesome. I have a lot of fun coming up with names for characters. should have taken French in high school, Steve. I took Latin. It's funny because she's definitely the least beastly uh, PC in that campaign. Yes. <laughs> she uh, is not very strong at all, but she is an um, archivist bard. So she relies on knowledge checks to impart bonuses to the allies. And instead of inspiring courage, she gives a bonus to their AC. Oh, so it's it, it's the action of like that that kind of bardic performance where you got to perform, but you, you have to do these like these knowledge checks, and then the bonus is different. It's not that like plus to hit. Yeah, yeah. So first she has to see what we're working with, do a knowledge check to know if she can give the team some sort of insight into how they can respond and interact with this enemy to actually get a bonus. So she does all of this through poetry. Very cool. And all right. So for those of you, we're going to go 100% spoiler free. So no need to turn it off or skip ahead. But you can crack open a beer. The Return of the Rune Lords AP is one of the final ones that's getting put out for Pathfinder First Edition. It takes place very late in the timeline. 
um, after several almost world-shattering events. But this adventure path takes place in a very small town called Roderick's Cove. All right, so we, we've talked about the, the this 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 person, their class, their their archetype. But who is this person, and why are they there? So Belle is inspired by Belle from Beauty and the Beast. So she is a no <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Wait, let me take a second. You have two characters inspired by Disney princesses. Both characters use bardic performance. Maybe. <laughs> How different are these characters? Lyra is technically not a bard. Technically. Bella's technically not a regular bard either. Yes, but she's more of a bard. Okay. She doesn't have ninth level spell casting like Lyra. Yeah, but I play them very, very similarly. Uh, but she is a book nerd that is trapped in this small town caring for her father. Mm-hmm. She's the only family, or he's the only family that she has left, and she's longing for more in life. She wants to go on adventures. She wants to catalog and actually improve the body of knowledge um, that she's read about. She's very interested in Thassalon and a lot of the information that was just lost from that time. So her big goal is to go out and discover more. She just wants to see the world. She certainly reads all the books in the party. She makes up for the lack of intelligence everywhere else. What do you mean lack of intelligence? My character is like a 19 intelligence. Lack of intelligence everywhere else. <laughs> lack of social intelligence is probably the Rhea. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides besides Belle from Beauty and the Beast, like, is there is there another media inspiration for her? I mean, she does really much... Like she she very much epitomizes the Belle from Beauty and the Beast. I'm just curious if there's other like she's not a human. Like where did that come from? That kind of thing. That actually came from the fact that I've pretty much always played either a human or an elf, and mm-hmm. I wanted to try something different. So when I was creating the character, I was trying to think about a cool tie-in that would help her fit in because we were in a small town. So I wanted it to be something that could be integral, uh, but could play in later down the line, some tie-ins to give her a more interesting backstory. But I didn't really have a direct inspiration for making her not a human. Tell us what she is. She is a sylph. So she has some air elemental Uh input. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I th- I think it was pretty cool too that you kind of left that a blank space for a while. I mean, we've been playing. I mean, we're on we're on book two of yeah. We're a Return couple sessions now, deep into book two, and we only learned about that six or seven sessions in that she wasn't human. Yeah, they definitely do their best to fit in with society, and depending on how blue their skin is, or like how overpowering that look can be. They can do a pretty good job of blending in as human, especially if they kind of don't interact too much with too many people. So that was definitely my thought process behind that is that she 
tries to fit in. She doesn't want to be ostracized from this town. But I tried to sprinkle in a few parts where, like, her hair is blowing all crazy with a wind that doesn't really yeah. exist. Yep, Must yep. be nice being able to fit in. All right. <laughs> all right. Coming from the seven-foot-tall tiefling <laughs> character in that campaign. it's it, it has been a lot of fun. I... We answered this question a while ago about like bringing, uh, you know, the things that we've learned about how to be better role players into our off. Oh my games. god, dude! That's that's one thing I almost want to talk about with Bell is just like we had that session. It was like it wasn't last session, but it was the session before we played a week ago. That was just so good from a role play scenario. Like it was perfect. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna say it here. You can cut this out if you want. If it's too, if it's too, you know, controversial. I wish we've been recording Return of the Rune Lords. Yeah, it's been so be damn great. good. It's been really it's been good. So damn good. Yeah, it's been really good. Like the, the and I think I think it's become it's point. become like, so good because you know to that point we've all been on yeah. a podcast for seven or eight months now. Like we're getting good at throwing backstory shit out there because it's no fun to listen to Pathfinder with no. Right, and exactly, and we, and we got people around the table like Emily who, you know, come up with this good idea um, for a character and are going to sit on it for weeks and weeks and weeks and not talk to their friends about it because they know it'll be cooler to do it in character, in story. Yeah. And it's been really coming through well. You've been doing a great job, Emily. It's been fantastic. Thank you. I think it's a lot more fun to play this way with the more role-playing, more backstories, doing more character voices. I have a lot more fun playing. Like after we started recording, I realized how much that can add to the game. So then I just have now tried to do that in our other games because why not have more fun? Yeah. If you know, if if we have a session where we just RP in between characters for the vast majority of it, and then we all go home afterwards, it's you know maybe the the story didn't go as far as we wanted it to, but like the characters developed and that's great. And it's fun. Like, I think we're more comfortable with that. We don't feel like that session is a wash. I feel like the characters have developed. Yeah. Yeah. I think character development has become key, which is awesome. Well, you're welcome what? for teaching you that. Oh, <laughs> Griff, what we do without you? Oh my God. You're so, God, what we do without you. Um, but I think what, what this all comes around back to is that, there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on with Belle. She is a very dynamic, interesting character. And I'm, you know what? We can do this on the Zone of Truth. I'm going to tell you what. In uh, in a few months, we're going to check back in with Belle. See how she's doing. See what, what knowledge bomb she's dropped. See, see, what, she's, see where the character's going. Died she, 30 sessions ago. Yeah, if she dies, <laughs> if she dies next week, uh, check Maybe in a couple months from now. It's going to be awkward. Oh, no. But I'm looking forward to it. Those characters are a lot of fun. We're talk we're joking about Bell Dian. We had a very close encounter with Lyra just this week. Lyra was down to one health point in the jaws of a blood caiman with a with a freaking manticore flying around. This was a wild encounter, and I want to get right now into the creature feature of this episode. Oh baby. This was such a fun combat. I have to tell you, like, the the air and the sea with you guys being on boats was a direct result of you guys pissing off that guy in town. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more about that. So uh, the book, as written, you are supposed to fight a manticore. Its nest is on the island that you're hoping to get 
more information about about the beast and if this was the beast and where he was hanging out. So you're trying to head to this island and the manacore nest is there. Now, I'd been kind of talking these blood caimans up from a couple episodes. Like once you first got to morassed, talking about the blood caimans and how they're like off the docks and how they're placated by like food being thrown off the docks and that kind of thing. The reason they came into play was because you immediately became like distressed. I think, I think much like the dock where they're getting food off of the manicor provides this almost dock like environment off the Island where it's like killing things and the things that it doesn't catch to eat itself. Like the blood caimans are coming in and, and eating it. So I wanted you guys to have this combat on the boats and stuff because I thought it would just be, so much more fun than sitting on the island and not having those extra... We really overdid it with the mechanics on this episode because oh, there's yeah. mechanics for fighting underwater. There's mechanics for spellcasting underwater. There's water combat, swimming, climbing up on the boats, attacking things in the air, range increments, all of that, which makes it really stressful as a GM, but but I think we did a really good job with it. And you know maybe we got a thing wrong once or twice or whatever during it, but... I, I think it was really fun. The encounter I've written is just the Manticore, just on the island. I made it. The Manticore and the Blood Caimans responding to you guys being attacked. Notice how they didn't attack you at the same time as the Manticore. They started swimming up to you because like they saw some it attacked you. Yeah, exactly. So the Manticore, great creature, didn't adjust it. Love Manticores. They can fly. They got a 50-foot fly speed. What I used predominantly was their spines in this combat, which they have 24 spines. They can shoot them off four at a time. Anyone within 30 feet, they can hit. It's a separate attack rule for each spine. Occasionally, I just had them all go at one person, but it was still four attack rolls. I mean, that's brutal. It's a D6 plus five per spine. Yeah. It's got a plus eight to hit you with a spine. Now, I think... Lyra in this combat did a really great job because Lyra was using this like you guys learn that it it's lawful evil which is a little weird for almost like an animal type creature it's lawful evil so Lyra could use her what was the spell you were using burst of radiance burst of radiance which hurts evil creatures causes blindness and even if it if the reflex save happens still causes the dazzled condition which kept the manacore at a plus seven which saved a couple people a couple times from getting hit don't you forget that matumbe protection against evil protection against evil also another just like i think i think this is where i come from with knowledge checks you you asked questions that weren't necessarily i mean they were good questions but they weren't necessarily like what is the creature's alignment? But he asked, if you asked about weakness, I know you guys as a party. I know that I know that you have some spells that target evil creatures. So that's what I'll give you as a weakness because to you guys it is being evil is a weakness because you have spells that can target it. So a, did did you hear that, Haley? Did you hear that? Being evil is a weakness <laughs> to this party, <laughs> except for when you have mental focus spells and shit, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, she did a lot of work this I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look at her character sheet. That sounds like a lot of bullshit to me. Fucking 
check her into the chiropractor carrying the team on her back. <laughs> so the Manticore has 50-foot fly speed. It's got flyby attack, which is which helps it out. Uh, but it's only got a clumsy fly speed, so that's why I didn't really have it like making sharp turns on you guys, oh, or sure, like, yeah. or even like ascending, descending. It was pretty much at the same like forty feet above the ground level the entire combat until it got sucked down by the by Haley's air elemental. It's got hover as a feat, so it can stay in place if it wants to. Uh, beyond the spikes, it does have bite claw claw. Uh, 1d8 plus 5 is the bite, 2d4 plus 5 is each claw, so they're, you know, they're pretty decent. That's how it was able to pretty much take out a small air elemental in one hit. Now, the blood caimans, I added to this encounter, and I think, you know, I was relatively transparent with you guys that I did that. Yep. Because I thought it I really wanted a, a land and sea combat. I thought uh, you hardly get those ever. And it's so much fun to blend the mechanics and have people falling off of boats, being in the water, getting attacked by shit that's in the water, that's adept to the water, getting attacked from the air when they're, when they're not overboard, that kind of thing. So the blood caimans, I actually used alligator stat blocks. Uh, they're each a CR2. They had that death roll, which was uh, their regular bite damage. I think it's a D8 plus six, like when they successfully grappled you. So they so they had you grappled. They could death roll you. You went prone, which is why you went under the water if they had you in the water. Now, the alligators are unique to the crocodiles in that they can actually make a climb check, which I think you heard me making, Yep. Um, in order to get up on land and attack something. So they were making a climb check to get over your boat to hit somebody, now that is really interesting because for free, if they attack you, hit you, succeed their grab, they don't have to move. They can just drag you straight underwater. That's awful. So that's that's where I think I think Eclipse got nabbed by that. She got yes. nabbed and and drug underwater. Really fun combat. I highly recommend like the GMs out there start to. You know, this combat could have been very one-dimensional if you were on the island attacking something in the air. This is a case of the terrain, like you guys being on boats and me using mechanics for you to move the boats, like water surrounding you, something attacking in the air, where the terrain plays such a big part in the combat. It almost it, it definitely did make the combat more difficult, but I think it made it more fun and it made it more interesting strategically to think of as 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 players correct me if i'm wrong but i think if 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 you were on the land it'd just kind of be like okay well we find our ranged options we all fire on it yeah it 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 was a scary encounter because we we almost had a, a a player death we i mean eclipse was in a pretty scary spot too lyra almost died but it, it was it was cool to take a moment to look at the the different mechanics for being in water. I also love that it was a little dynamic too with the water. Like Matumbe could stand up in the water because he's a medium creature. Eclipse, on the other hand, is a small creature who has to like worry about holding her breath. This wasn't you know this wasn't just a a. You, you were talking about a one dimensional combat. This wasn't just a two dimensional combat. I would say this was a three dimensional forty combat. chess like. There were different rules that applied to different people around the table. I thought it was cool as hell. 
Yeah, I think I I just think it was a really good time. I'm glad you guys seem to have enjoyed it. You know, could I have taken Lyra's life? Well, only if she had rolled a two on that uh, on that die, and it would have been half damage, and she would have only done one hit point of damage because that blood came in head two, and he was just gonna fucking death roll you again. And and Emily, the people out there want to know why can't you climb into a boat? Lyra is drawn to the water on a. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer ever. Physically, she cannot make herself get out, even if that's her best option. It's her fucking curse, man. Yep. Just, I guess so. That's how it is. The dice know. <laughs> drawn to the swamp. That's so <laughs> Us is my swamp. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, that's about all I have to say about the combat. I thought it was really fun. I, I think it was a good time. And I'm just really happy to actually get a combat in it's been a couple of role play heavy and exposition heavy episodes you know you start a new book you kind of need that but i think we were ready for for just a big combat to happen yeah it was nice to change it up a little bit flex those muscles we haven't flexed really i mean we did have that that phase spider combat which although was very interesting wasn't life or death i don't i don't feel like but this one got pretty tense it was it was fun to to flex those muscles again. Yeah, I mean, for the people interested at home, uh, it made a CR five encounter a CR seven, adding these these two CR two um, creatures to it. And I thought, at, you know, at a fourth level party, a CR seven would definitely be difficult. But you fought the CR six at level three, the splatter man, and came out on top. So. I think I thought you had a good chance. I just thought it would put you in a you know a decently tense spot. I, I'd I'd like to I'd like to challenge you there. Do you think that having it on the boats and in the water would have raised the CR of the encounter? Because I mean we've also have we also have the mechanics of if too many people are on the same boat and you know Eclipse, a small character, would be underwater. Underwater rules apply. I think the creature encounter you know their their CRs could take it to seven you think having it uh, taking it off of land into the water bumps that up a little bit there's a potential but i mean for the most part it's the because it's in a swamp it really only applied to eclipse the, sure. the breathing thing unless one of the crocs had actually been taking you underwater like it did with lyra i'll counter that with you never fight alligators and stuff out of the water okay. i think if they were out of the water they wouldn't be CR2 they, cuz they're not oh. that difficult the the water is the whole point of of them being difficult creatures that they can drag you under it and they can death roll you and keep you underwater so yes yes the terrain definitely bumped the difficulty but i think it it balances itself with the fact that the crocs kind of need that to to be a threat and you have a your unique party comp is Lyra has a swim speed and that kind of stuff, which makes her more suited to an aquatic environment than a PC in a non-aquatic campaign generally is. So you had that working in your favor. I'd still say this would have been like a CR7. Sure. But to your point, it definitely involved a little bit more strategy to, to figure out, okay, well, how am I moving? I have these these boats. You know, I can take a four-round action to move them not as far as my regular move speed. The mana core is just whipping around us. I get that. So I, I, 
I still think it's CR7, but I think it's CR7 with a decent amount of thought. You, have, you really have to think about this combat. We really had to work together to not die. Like, Lyra needed Ikmer to do a ton of damage on the Blood Cayman, and Eclipse needed help with hers as well. So, like, we had to really work together as a team to make One it out alive. One of my favorite alive. moments in the combat was when Matumbe, like, jumps off the... Abandons the, the book. He leaves the book Abandons and he jumps the off the boat with the fucking dagger and just plunges it into the back of this Blood Cayman. Left the book with Ricky... God, you're lucky he was a good guy. Ricky's a great guy. You're lucky he laid down so much fucking damage on the mana core. Ricky hit like almost every time he shot. Why why is the episode called The Bail Bail to Ricky Boatman? Because he puts out fucking damage. He puts out fucking damage. He has that extra can of ravioli at night, you know? It is what it is. (laughs) Jesus, Rick. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the encounter. Again, a huge blast. Glad nobody died, but... A, a very mechanically intense encounter that uh, I, I had a lot of fun playing. It was a great time. That being said, there's some people out there that have questions. I would like to answer them. I think the people around this table would like to answer them as well. well let's do it then. And let's just get to it. All right. So our first question today comes from John, Mr. Cragnack. I don't know if this is a question has come up before. It hasn't, but I'm curious. What the worst drink our dear gasoline queen has ever created? Emily, tell us about it. I want to know what you consider the worst drink. I think that's where, I, that's where I'm curious. You might think it would be that jelly bean soda drink I had in episode 39. The gasoline queen special. But it is not. Oh. I consider the worst drink that I have ever mixed up is that beer mosa. With the ham. That was so funny. I did not like that at all. It was acidic beer vomit. It was a struggle to get through. Yeah, it was really bad. We all drank that. That was pretty bad. Went like real heavy on the orange liqueur, too. I think the worst drink I ever had was actually on the Zone of Truth podcast. It definitely was. I remember a couple couple weeks ago, I had, um, it was like. Hazelnut something? It was. Hazelnut rum, bourbon, and Coke or Dr. Pepper. I can't remember. And I, I think it was Dr. Pepper because I thought like the hazelnut was going to complement the sweetness in the Dr. Pepper. It tasted like balls. It was so fucking disgusting. Like I was appalled. But I totally agree with you. Like I actually. And I almost wish the wis- listeners could have seen your facial expressions when you were drinking the. Uh, the gasoline queen special because they weren't pretty, but I agree with you that 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 Ham's Mosa was just that was something else. I forgot about that. That was really. I mean, that was in our early days. I feel like that was like sub fifteen, maybe. It was a long time ago. I will never forget that drink. <laughs> At least the uh, gasoline queen special was high enough alcohol content that it got better as I kept drinking it. Sure. I mean, that shit was literally like. A Christmas candle, though. It was. <laughs> like, it, like, literally tasted like... I couldn't believe that it had the Christmassy flavor, but I could still taste the wax. I felt like I could taste wax on that shit. It almost had, like, a very earthy aftertaste. Like, I tasted dirt when I drank that drink. 
Yeah, I mean, you're the Waves Oracle. I was getting hit with the Waves of Displeasure. I uh, Waves of Ecstasy. What's the opposite of that spell? Absolutely. It's it's whatever Emily concocts because, I, I mean, on the show, I had the drink and then was like, I kind of recovered for a second and then just got this blast of disgustingness. It was terrible. It was really bad. So, John, uh, those are the various answers to yeah. your question. This, like, isn't uh, this isn't a bit that Emily's doing either. Like, a couple of weeks ago, we were hanging out at our buddy Chris's place, and an exchange that actually happened was Emily shouting out to the group, what do you think I should mix with Coke? Rum or this peppermint schnapps? <laughs> God. Guess what I went with? The schnapps. Yep, because I had way too much of it. That was uh, insane. We'll discuss that in the comments. I'll be on your next drink poll. <laughs> Please no. It was so bad. <laughs> All right. So our, our buddy Alex Giordano, named after the amazing Chicago pizza chain. Um, Giordano's? Yeah. There's a Giordano's in every small town in America, I think. I don't think that's correct, actually. Uh, Kenneth Square has a Giordano's. Kenneth Square is a Giordano's? Yeah. Wow. Yes. It's a different Giordano. It's just a very oh, popular Oh, come on. Name. All right, all right. That's <laughs> it's a very popular <laughs> name. All right. Popular name. It's very popular to be a pizza chain named Giordano's. Now, Alex, I don't think, I'm makes pretty sure pizza. he's the heir to the Giordano fortune. He's the heir to the Giordano fortune. If he's not, so I spends his time drawing awesome fan art because he's the I, I heir think, to I the think that's why. Of fortune. <laughs> All right, so he says, "Got a question for you guys." And actually, this is like three questions, so it's not just a question. Coming at you, GR down a little bit. Got a question for you guys. What's your favorite class and least favorite class? And what are your thoughts on rolling stats as opposed to the point by? So, what I will say right off the top is as part of our chain lightning round, we are addressing favorite class person to person. So we're not going to do that now. I least favorite, though. definitely want to talk about least favorite because that is a great, phenomenal question. Also, Roland Stance versus Point By, super valid. I want to talk about it. So least favorite class, let's go, Emily. I don't have one particular class that I absolutely despise, but personally, I don't like playing a class that doesn't have some sort of casting okay. at all. Okay. I like to be able to cast spells. Have you ever tried it? Only in like one-off, very small, like short things. I, I implore you to try it one time and, and just relish in the amount of stuff you don't have to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I can just roll in with Kyron. Kyron's my, my great break from from like GMing and like having to take everything super seriously because Kyron's so easy to run. And that's your return of the Rune Lords character. Yeah, that's my yeah. return of the Rune Lords. He's a gloom ba- Gloomblade fighter. So you don't you don't like casting or I'm sorry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you don't like not casting. And is that because you love preparing spells, love seeing what all that can do or or, or, or why? I really like the opportunity to come up with some creative solution to a problem. If we're up against something, I don't just want to smash the rock wall. I want to try to come up with a way to get around it or like face through it. I just grease the rock wall so it's harder <laughs> to smash. <laughs> as, as a bard, that's a lot of what I've been doing. <laughs> I want to convince the rock wall not to be in my way. Please leave. Yeah, Tim's been very nice about uh, my creative uses of ghost sound. <laughs> yeah, I feel Absolutely. like that's a common thread. Haley definitely does that here, too. Yeah. 
Griffin, do you want to go or do you want me to go first? Uh, up to you, bud. I got a pretty hot take on this one, oh, so I want well. you to go first. All right, that's fine. Uh, least favorite class. This is difficult for me, but I think I think it's got to be the psychic. Okay, I'm not. I really love like Haley's Occultus, and and I like the concept of a lot of the psychic casters, but like a psychic full caster to me. I would so much rather just play like a wizard. And yes, they have their benefits, but I feel like they don't have enough of their own unique spell list. Now, there are spells. Don't get me wrong. They do have unique spells, but I just feel like it's not enough for me to want to play it ever over something else. I mean, there are a lot of times where it's like a psychic can do this kind of shit. And I'm like, well, I feel like a witch would be really good at that. And a witch can also debuff or like, Oh, I feel like, you know, you really want to battlefield control or, or command like your enemies to do something or something like a bard is actually really good at that. Or a wizard is really good at that. Like I just, it, it fills a niche that I feel like has already been filled by a lot of things. So I've never gone out of my way to play one now i would love like one of the fans or something to show me like a cool build of their psychic because honestly i haven't played it i haven't played a psychic because and that's kind of why it's like my least favorite class because i just haven't felt the need to play it over so many other options that i feel like fill that gap I think that's a challenge out to the fans. Create a psychic build for, for Griffin that he's going to have fun with. If you create a psychic for me, I will play it on something we record, I think. There it is. Ooh. There it is. All right. I'm coming at you with a hot take. Rogues can fuck off. Yeah, I don't like rogues either. All right. I feel that. And I think it's it's less the, the composition of the class, and this is, this is going to feel a little attacky, but... It's more like the 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 way that the class is played by a lot of people. I think a lot of <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people gravitate toward the rogue and are like, "Ooh, I want to be edgy and like I want to pickpocket people." And while the rest of my party is trying to do something constructive, I'm gonna steal this like two gold piece worth sword from this guard. Uh, excuse me, uh, can I roll stealth to see if the rest of the party sees me take half of the loot from uh, the body? Yeah, it's it's a bunch of that bullshit where it's like, I feel like a lot of people that play rogues end up like doing that kind of crap like, ooh, uh, her hall was, was 100 gold pieces divided by uh, uh, five people. That's 20 gold pieces a person. I'm going to try and pocket 40 gold pieces before. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want that shit around my table. Like, I don't even get it, man, because it's like, you're a fucking rogue. What are yeah. you even going to use a gold for? You suck. Yeah. You suck at combat. <laughs> and... Yeah, so so maybe it's maybe it's not the build itself. Although I have a lot of problems with like, all right, we've been in this like ten ten round long combat. I'm still gonna try and get that sneak attack, but it's like, all right, whatever, whatever, man. Just play a slayer. Yeah, don't be a, a don't be a fucking dingus. You can also be a vivisectionist that gets sneak attack yeah, damage. Play a vivisectionist. Play a vivisectionist. Because, like, as we've seen, that's useful as fuck as opposed to uh, less so. I think I think there are some rogue builds that are that work, and, yeah. and it's just yeah. like you know, there's there's good archetypes for rogue that make rogue work, but bog standard rogue 
is kind of a bummer to me. Yeah, you're coming at me with the vanilla rogue. I know for a fact you're going to roll up with with your attitude of I'm going to rip off all the other people that I'm playing with and I'm going to be uh, a dick to neutral. these people. Like, <laughs> oh, wow, what a surprise. Um, that's a pretty hot take, but... Tell me I'm wrong. Like No, I mean uh, somebody somebody come to us with a story about how you played like a Robin Hood rogue. I think that's a really like something like uh, that, like a just a different concept and not even different, but just a different concept than what you're talking about. Like like a rogue that that goes out of its way to do good or goes out of its way to Oh, that'd be cool as you hell. Know, yeah. You know, maybe steals gold from the party in the traditional way that we all hate in order to like fund something that's like altruistic that would be really cool i think i i like that concept and i would play with somebody that had that concept you know i i, I love pathfinder and i will and i love trying things and I, I love trying things that i think i'm gonna hate but i end up loving in the same way if somebody comes to griffin with a cool psychic oh boy i drink a lot of beer um if if, if someone comes to griffin with like a cool psychic build that works and a cool story that makes him get interested in the class if someone can like really convince me on a rogue i would love that that'd be cool as hell somebody really convince emily on a barbarian just off of the fact that i want to hear emily play a barbarian <laughs> it's me Zima. I'll use my I Frankenstein voice. Yes, yes. please. <laughs> I'll pay money to play that campaign. All right. So I think we pretty much fairly addressed that question. Oh, wait. No, we didn't. There's still another piece to that that's not really related to the first piece, but it's still a really good question. What are your thoughts on rolling stats versus point by? Emily, what do you like to do? You're making a new character. How's it going to work? I've done both. I like to have the control of the point by, but if you're rolling stats and your GM is super nice and lets you re-roll until you get good, <laughs> you get stats, good stats, that Thanks, can be Tim. fun too. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Tim. I actually didn't need to re-roll though because I rolled really good stats. Oh, I only re-rolled time. eight whole times. Yeah, because you had like three stats under eight for seven rolls, seven, yep. seven sets of stats. <laughs> I see the merits of both and I enjoy both. And I think that's why I combine them for our carrying crown character creation is that I, I like every character to have the same starting point. I don't really want you guys to feel unbalanced versus each other. That's the merits of the point by the point by is going to, you know, keep you guys all on the same power level stats wise. And a 20 point buy is generally pretty good. Like if mm-hmm. you go up to 25, like a lot of times you're not going to roll better than that. It's a, it's a really good option. What I did was 20 point buy. And then I gave the players two D fours of bonus on top of the point buy. So like once you built your character, you could then add bonus to stats and and I gave them based off a really good backstory and playing an interesting archetype which everyone did I think that's the way to go I think I think everybody's starting at a certain point and then you have some incentives to actually get better at stats I, I think Eric you know we talked about it when he was on here but he gave me an extra stat point to talk with a silly lisp for the entire campaign and I did and I think it was funny to him it was funny to me and it's a way to like, I think, I think you just need to think differently about like, Hey, I'll give you a small stat bonus for something 
for something above and beyond, for something above and beyond, like a great backstory or like, like playing something different. That's really cool to see. That's, that's where I'm at. If I had to choose, I'd pick point by because I like everybody to be on the same level. Yeah. And just like, I got that hot take with the rogue. I got another hot take for you guys. Rolling for stats. You fuck off. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. You heard it here first. Um, I, I mean, I think that just, it just is like in line with my personality. I, I like to know what I'm working with. I like to build off of that. I don't want that, that ambiguity. Honestly, I don't want to sit at a table where everyone's kind of mediocre. And then one person is really hurting and struggling to do anything and contribute because they rolled poorly. Or you've got that other situation where you've got five people around a table playing and there's one guy that rolled bombs on that on that roll stats and he's just monopolizing the entire session because he or she like rolled really well no fuck that guy like i i I like you know hearing from bell and hearing from kyron hearing from my character rail like i want everyone to contribute and i don't want people to like roll and fail because they were disadvantaged because of the 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 roles like the role for stat system i get that like the the randomness is in line with the spirit of pathfinder and is a lot of fun but i'm a point by guy here's where i'm at because i totally get what you're saying Mm -hmm. i like the role for stats because it can open up a lot of build opportunity like sometimes sometimes there's just stuff like like a shaman is a really difficult class to do within a point by because you need it's so multi-attribute dependent something like that though i think the the clever solve is just to let them like if everybody else is a 20 point buy let them be a 25 point buy with nothing over a certain oh that would be cool just with the with the caveat that like you know hey i'm letting you do this because you want to play something out there something that's really hard to achieve in the regular point by system just because it's all over the place like I want you to contribute as much as everybody else. I don't want you to feel gimped here. Take a higher point by because you're playing something that like, it's not like you're going to have a 22 strength or something like you're going to be in line with everybody else. You're just going to have a couple stats that are high because that's how your class works. I think that's a wonderful idea. And I will also say before we wrap up this question, there is the very, very tiny asterisk that sometimes when you don't point by and you do, roll for stats that sometimes I'm going to say this because I love point by over rolling stats. Sometimes that opens up really cool role play opportunities that you weren't ready for. Yeah. Like if you are rolling for stats and one of your stats comes out to like a six, like, and if you jump dump that into charisma, it changes the way you have to play the character. Or if you dump that into intelligence or strength, it changes the way you have to play the character. It's not just like a baseline 10, yeah, so, and I, I think so that's that, fun. Yeah, that's I appreciate fun. That. Point by allows you to pick. You yeah, could, you can dump something with point by. It's not like that's not an option to you. You could be stellar at intelligence and really low at charisma if mm-hmm. you want to. If you decide to do that, I think I think that's how I would challenge people doing a point by something like that shaman yeah. build. I would say, okay, your key stats are really good, and I'm giving you a 25 point by. In order to get there, though. Like you're really going to have to dump intelligence or I think they work Mm. off wisdom and charisma. I'm not a hundred percent like you're really going to, or you're really going to have to dump decks. You're going to be clumsy as fuck, or you're really going to have to dump con. Like 
something that makes it very difficult for for their character, but not insurmountable, and it makes really good role play that from there. I agree one hundred percent. Be good times, but we've seen some pros, we've seen some cons. We are we are heading towards the finale of this episode, and so now we're kicking it back to Zzz. what? Jane Lightning. Ah, you're way ahead of me. We're kicking it back to the gasoline queen herself. We got a whole lot of questions to ask her. We are back. You heard Griffin correctly. In the chain lightning round. Roll the fucking reflex save. Roll that reflex save. All right, Emily, are you ready? I am. Okay. If you say so, your first question in the chain lightning round comes from the Rafe 91. Now, he did clarify that this is Pathfinder race. Oh, it is, in fact, your favorite Pathfinder race? Yep. He says, <laughs> what's your favorite fun. race? <laughs> yep, it's not, it's not race of human beings. This is... What is your favorite Pathfinder race? Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> I'm a little bit biased, but my favorite is human. Okay. I like the versatility and that they get the extra feet, and they tend to fit really well within my ideas for characters. Now, have you read the Inner Sea World guide? That's also another thing. I have not read very many Pathfinder books. Because I think... I think that would be a great read for you if you like humans, because there are so the, the culture of humans in general in Pathfinder is so extensive and really cool that you can get a really good flavor for character concepts just based off of the stuff that they've written in the Inner Sea World Guide. You know, they give you they they give you how people are different in different places and and what their customs are and that kind of thing. And I think it's really, I mean, it works with a bunch of races, but for people, I mean, they they tell you like you know this is what the normal person looks like from the Mwangi expanse like not to like generalize or anything but it it gives you a good jumping off point i think i've i've read the inner sea world guide cover to cover it is a great read i would suggest it for any single person who wants to learn more about the world that we're playing in or start developing characters especially from you know weird places that maybe you know you're your your game might not be ready for make something cool make somebody from uh, the land of the Nadal. kings Nadal from Geb from Nex like make something cool make somebody who's like way out there you can learn so much from that book and it is a joy to read but Emily alright so so how many humans have you played have you played you know we talked about your sylph earlier have you played anything else besides a human besides the sylph Elves. I've played an elf. Other than that, it's mostly been human. Okay. We got to get you on that tiefling train. The tiefling train's a good time. <laughs> Do a tiefling barbarian. Yep, there it is. <laughs> Never heard of one of those before. Nope. <laughs> All right, cool. So we're going to keep moving because this is a lightning round. We are moving fast. What's your favorite uh, character? Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, the, my spreadsheet's going nuts here. This Class is wild. And right. why? Class and why. This comes from Joe Bot. I have never found or played a class that I felt like this is the epitome of all classes that I will ever play. I disagree. You've played a bard. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the bard, but I don't know if it's my favorite. I pretty much anything with some sort of casting, like I mentioned earlier, is something that I enjoy because I want to be able to 
at least attempt a creative solution to a problem. And currently, I've been really enjoying learning more about different classes and what they can do and how unique you can get in all of the different archetypes. So I've been loving just playing a new character every time or a new class every time. So that's kind of where I'm at, at least currently. There's so many options. I just love something new. I highly challenge you to play an Arcanist at some point. I think I think with your playstyle, you would really enjoy that because it's somewhere in between like the wizard and sorcerer where you're still preparing spells, but you get a little more flexibility in how many times you cast them and you can like remember spells. It's a really fun class because it's kind of that mesh. And you can even take an Arcanist like melee. I think there's like one archetype that does like a arcane blade or something Ooh, or other. That'd it's be like, fun. like it's kind of like a magus but with less hit dice <laughs> so you would die convincing convincing yeah that sounds like a lot of fun i'll have to check that one out hell yeah all right we're, we're we're keeping this train moving all right this comes from our boy florida man what class and race most accurately align with who you are in real life for race i have to go with human <laughs> because i am one fair uh, rude <laughs> for class uh you guys had mentioned an alchemist before i totally agree i believe i would be a pretty high intelligence character i would say i'm more book smart than street smart i've done a lot of time studying taking classes researching in the lab trying to apply it to real world applications but uh I've never had like a real job before at an actual company. <laughs> there you go. Hey, this is a real company. That's right. I'll put on my resume. I, I challenge. I definitely see the alchemist. I see the alchemist a hundred percent. But to my previous point, I think Arcanist is where I see Emily. The, the kind of like, like where alchemically you're creating, you're really creating like a limited, like, like a potion pool. I think, I think as an arcanist, you're, you're doing exactly what you like to do in Pathfinder, which is like finding creative solutions to problems and being able to recall your, because of studying for so long, your, your knowledge of things and utilize it in the moment. That's why I, I would put her as an arcanist, but I see alchemist. I think I went more with the alchemist because that's more science and we don't have magic. So I went with more of like a scientific background for that. Yeah. But I totally, I totally agree. I think that's a good fit for me as well. I agree with you, Griffin. Arcanist is really cool. I want to see Emily play one one day. I want to see her play a barbarian. Fuck that. I want to see the, I want to see the Emily barbarian. Just the, that'd be good times. (laughs) The I Frankenstein voice. Oh my god! I, I, where can I go from that? I mean, it's got to happen. But we got to keep this moving. Our, we got, we got one from our boy Ryan. So we know now what the players like to drink. But when given the opportunity, what do our PCs drink? So I'm going to make this apply to both Vivian Malis and Lyra. Well, yeah, because we know Lyra. Yep. Salt water. <laughs> Yay! And a margarita with a salt rim. 
<laughs> all right, all right. Girl. A little bit more unique. Got to get the alcohol in there for the hideous laughter podcast. I just feel like Viv's taking shots out of test tubes. <laughs> no, you don't eat out of lab equipment. You don't eat God in the lab. You don't store food in the lab. I think Kill they me. look so cute, but like I cringe when I see those. Like you can't drink out of a beaker. You don't know what's been in that. Probably somebody's blood. Well, actually, probably. Vivian, I mean, Vivian hopefully like for that. Viv. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Hopefully, someone's blood was in here. I. All right, I, I guess that's that's where we landed on that one. Well, no, yeah. What would she What would she drink? Vivian would be drinking something with caffeine, so she would yes. be. Oh, of course. Yep, slugging back that coffee. Maybe cocaine. some uh, four locos, the original kind. Four locos. Good oh God! Oh my God! Now, now I want you to role play Viv on a four loco. Oh, she'd be talking like a mile a minute and. Her, her shaking would just slur all of her words together, so it wouldn't make any sense. Only the gasoline queen would be like, "Yeah, my PC drinks a four loco." <laughs> Get it? Absolutely makes sense. <laughs> all right, we got one final chain lightning round question. This comes from Rusted Chrome. If you could pick any comic book or movie hero slash heroine or villain. I guess, or villainess, to take your character's spot in the game. Who would it be and why? I'd also like to hear Griffin's choice as well. Rusted Chrome, last time I told you that you're going to have to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. Well, at least for Griffin's, but Emily's answer, you, you, you can hear now. All right. For Lyra, her character would not be played by Ariel. It would be <laughs> Ariel's daughter, Melody, who is born on land and wants to become a mermaid really, really badly. God, only you would know that. Wait, what? Only you would know that. There are sequels to the Little Mermaid God, movie where... There would be a character that's the exact opposite that is Lyra. Yeah. There's sequels to the Little Mermaid? Yes. Ariel has a, a daughter. mermaid. Named okay. Melody. Mermaid. And she doesn't know that her mother was a mermaid, and she doesn't know about her side of the family in the ocean but she's very drawn to the sea her mom keeps her from the ocean because she doesn't want to lose her so it causes conflict they solve it they grow together because it's a disney movie yep but it's lyra's journey but nicer because it's a disney movie somehow i wasn't expected at all for that answer and yet that is exactly what i expected it to be (laughs) i knew it was gonna come from disney if we've learned anything tonight. Uh, but my next one isn't a Disney character. Wow, that's actually... Uh, you, I know you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for this one, then. <laughs> so for Dr. Vivian Malice, I think her comic book villain would be Dr. Isabel Maru, or Dr. Poison, featured in the Wonder Woman movie. Oh, yeah. Very, very driven by her research just gonna make those discoveries whatever it takes and creepy as hell yep mm-hmm. nice good pick good pick good pick that is that is that is very creepy all right guys i think that might be about it for this this episode zone of truth i I'd, I'd be happy to say that emily you you did in fact make your will safe and make it out save. Of and that reflex save from the chain lightning round congratulations this is our opportunity right now to start wrapping it up. So, Emily, 
people know where to reach you. They know that it's Emily HLP on that Discord. They know your Twitter handle. They know where to, they know that you do Instagram a whole lot of the time. So if you want to say anything to the fans right now, now's your time. Thanks for reaching out and interacting with us. I love getting to talk with fans and hear their theories or get feedback from them. It's so cool to see how everyone visualizes our characters with different fan art and with like different takes they have on what's going to happen next. It's so much fun and I'm so honored to see other people taking that much time for a character that I created. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on this episode, Emily. It, it was it was great to have you talk about Lear, Doctor Viv, Bella Bet, the 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 folks that everyone knows and loves. But it's time to go home, Griffin. Is there something that you want to say to the fans? There is one thing. I believe this airs a week or two before PaizoCon. Uh oh. And I will be there, as will Steve. Yes. Please, if you're in the area, reach out to us. We would love, love, love to meet people that listen to the show. I will buy you a beer. We'll have a good time. We want to drink with every single person at PaizoCon. If my a if if, if 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 my alcohol blood content drops below point one for that long weekend, I will be disappointed in myself and others. Well, you'll probably just get the shakes like you usually do. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct, and I will be disappointed because of it. So. I would love to see you guys. Please reach out. That's all I got, bud. All right. And? Well, I do have another thing. What's that? Finish your drinks, because we'll see you in two weeks, baby. Later. Later.